Welcome to the Herbal Hour podcast. Today we have on Derek Lease, and we're going to be diving into the deep waters of art, therapy, naturopathy, psychedelics, spirituality, astral travel, anything and everything related to healing, the mystical, and uh, knowledge of self. So first off, I wanted to say to all the listeners, uh, happy Valentine's Day. It's uh, a holiday with a lot of kind of mixed feelings about it. There's a lot of love, a lot of presence. Some people who don't have current partners, they feel lonely, they feel you know like they're left out. But to me at least, what I think Valentine's Day is about is about honoring, respecting, and expressing love. So whether you're with that special someone or alone, just remember that this is the one day a year where all of uh, culture decides that we will honor and worship love today. So ultimately, I think all love stems from self-love, which is, of course, so much easier said than done uh, because we have a lot of reasons that seem very reasonable to not love ourselves. Um, but I'm just here to tell you that they're all BS. You're great. And um, let's get into it. So Derek, can you fill us in a little bit about who you are, your path? Absolutely, yeah. Hi, I'm Derek. Um, I, I've been an artist since, since I was two years old, right? <laughs> um, my grandpa got me into it. He was a fine artist and um, did oil landscapes and things like that. And he started teaching me when I was like two years old and I went through classical training and had private arts school um, all throughout my childhood up into high school. And then uh, I decided, I grew up in Connecticut on the East Coast and I decided that I wanted to like escape the societal norms and find like an earth life and consciousness like that. Mm -hmm explored um just following my whimsy for a couple months and stuff and that led me to boulder colorado where i had my first vision quest and met a lot of beautiful people from all around the world um and that also linked with my first psychedelic adventures and uh led me to start school at for anthropology actually in 2005 in Arizona and I'm not really sure to this day why I chose Arizona but I think it just called me <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was following my whimsy really uh so we met at um naturopathic medical school yes. uh, National University of Natural Medicine which I just graduated from last spring um and we've been on clinic shifts together and we share a lot of similar interests around those kind of things. Mm -hmm. How how did your path as an artist uh, tie into wanting to become a naturopath, wanting to become a naturopathic doctor? Um, I found many interesting stories of how people's life paths connected into it. For me, interestingly, I got into it from the path of kind of philosophy, Eastern philosophy, mindfulness, Buddhism, 
and that's how I kind of tied in because like health kind of comes naturally from that kind of compassion and self-awareness. But how did you tie in? Because it sounds like your fate in early life was about, it was about art. It was about understanding people, anthropology, um, yeah. and living kind of outside of the norms. Um, I think that my soul always wanted to heal the planet and have mm. the planet itself. And like, that's one of my primary purposes here is to like bring like help usher in the new age of sustainability and consciousness and just like us being stewards of the earth and not destroying the things that we've been blessed with mm. um, and really growing so that we're responsible adults instead of like wounded children throwing tantrums all over the place and wasting <laughs> all of our resources it's you know um <laughs> so like that that drove a lot of my artwork um that kind of visionary uh healing the world kind of thing and then I uh I just came across through my communications with others the uh, idea kept repeating over and over and over again um to do the work for yourself heal yourself and mm. heal the world around you by doing that and then I learned that I have a real gift to that, like helping people mm. people always come to me to listen like I've listened I've been doing it since I was like three years old. <laughs> you bring um, up, um, you bring up a really, uh, really important point for anybody who's on the healing path, who wants to be part of a healing profession, um, who wants to help someone else mm -hmm. is that all healing again is fundamentally self-healing in some sense. Um, and I've, I found it incredibly interesting talking to a lot of our colleagues, a lot of other students doing naturopathic or nutrition or Chinese medicine or any of the other uh, alternative health spheres uh, in particular, that they often come to this path, whether consciously or unconsciously to heal themselves. So I've noticed that uh, the kind of issues that someone has had uh, maybe they've overcome, maybe they still struggle with are usually the kind of uh, medicine and healing that they offer. So for people who have suffered uh, severe particular types of trauma, uh, as they resolve those, integrate those experiences and uh, kind of get beyond the suffering and the pain that they cause, they often are the best suited to offer that kind of healing to someone else, because how can you help someone with something that you don't know how to help yourself with? Um, so naturopathic medicine, of course, is based on uh, foundational philosophical principles, uh, such as the doctor is a teacher, such as uh, focus on the whole body, treat the cause, prevent, um, the focus on the healing power of nature rather than forcing things to happen. But I would, I would say that they should throw in another principle and that is heal thyself because ultimately I think that that one is the most important principle of not only healing, but any kind of pursuit, which is uh, to work through your patterns, through your difficulties and come to some understanding because that's the way that you can help others do the same, right? Absolutely.
Yeah. Yeah, like I'm always doing the work, always processing. Um, if you're not doing it, then I think you're coming from a place that is dangerous almost. Mm. Giving people false advice. You're you're like being a charlatan because you haven't tested it within yourself, within your own experience to know what you're doing. Um, I, I think it, it's bad medicine to do, to give people advice that you can't follow yourself. Mm. Uh, yeah. And that's, that like goes against integrity. It's, it's you know, it goes against doing no harm. Um, and ultimately, one of the things I was like a teenager when I really like viscerally understood this, but I was like, you know, no drugs, all, all the, the point of all medicine is to open the body to allow the body to heal itself. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing that like heals you except for you. You allow it to happen or don't allow it to happen. And like, you get in the way of it or, or you I help did. it. Uh, that's, that's a really important thing that through, uh, through cultural conditioning, we've kind of forgot that essential point that um, if there was like one fundamental truth of uh, healing in a sense, it would be that the body is always seeking uh, homeostasis. It's always seeking balance. It's always seeking health. The body has no reason to ever want to be diseased or in pain or to have any issue in its functioning. It Everything in the body is made to prevent that. Everything is made to balance that out. Um, so it's always working like that, even, uh, even though we're not aware of it, because the healing process is not, is not conscious. Um, you know, you catch a cold, you don't have to sit down and think about how you're going to get over that cold, right? your body handles it. If you give it the tools that it needs, or at the very least, don't make it difficult for your body. So a lot of naturopathic medicine um, is really taking out the things that take away from health because the things that take away from health, limit it, uh, prevent that healing response are often the main reason why healing isn't occurring. It's not because, um, you know, you're not, you're not sick because you don't have some herb or supplement in you. Like that's not the reason, right? The reason is something else that herb or supplement or pharmaceutical can, uh, can help your body uh, kind of push it in the right way, uh, help it out, but it can't do the healing. Like nothing heals you. Uh, healing is a natural process that is always being strived for. Uh, A lot of times we just got to get out of the way of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, um, it's really good to, to understand that and how that applies to uh, philosophies of how you deal with issues that you have with health. Um, a perfect example is the way that fever is dealt with, for example, right? Right. So what's the typical approach? Um, you get a fever, you take an NSAID, and the NSAID gets rid of your fever, so you feel better, right? Yeah. Great, you're healed, right? No, uh, not at all, actually, because the fever is not, it's not a manifestation of the illness. The fever is not the illness. Right. The fever 
is the solution to the illness. The fever is what your body is doing to overcome the infection. Um, so why would you stop the fever other than in those rare cases when it is so intense that it's actually life-threatening? Because sometimes <clears throat> the healing force is so <clears throat> sudden, drastic, that it can actually work in the opposite way. So that's, of course, something to, to keep in mind that some fevers you should do something about because it gets to the point where it's actually dangerous. Um, but allowing the natural processes to happen is actually how healing occurs in, um, in a lot of cases. Um, as far as naturopathy, healing, how do you view your role as a healer? Like there's a patient or a client or a person, you know, sitting across from you. Mm-hmm. What's in what's in your mind and your heart when you're giving them advice, asking questions? So, yeah, it's a good question. Um, we just talked about a lot of different things. Um, and a big theme of all those things is getting out of the way. And that is mm. very relevant right now because um, – about 15 years ago, I started learning energy medicine and in the form of cranial sacral and polarity therapy. And in that, when you sit down with a person, you want to develop rapport with them. You want to be in resonance with them, listen deeply to their words, their story, the body language that they use. Um, and they'll tell you everything that's going on with them in those modes of expression. And when you're listening, like that's like half the healing journey right there is them just opening the thing. Like, this Mm. is my thing. This like is my story. And, uh, so as a, as a healer, we'd be sitting here listening to that and like just being really open and allowing yourself to be a vessel, stepping out of the way, getting out of your own way, getting out of their way. And it's like a subconscious kind of like things get put together in the right way kind of like yeah i think that all of the information that you've learned you know comes to pieces and i just use all the resources that i've ever accumulated and be like okay then this would help you because um these things resonate with you and like this you know like this plant is showing up in your personality in this regard, or like, you know, it will help support the, the, you know, like this drastic spaced out anxiety ridden thing coming through you. And like, let's support your adrenals with that or something like that, you know? Um, like all the different body parts have different stories too. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of different um, <clears throat> modalities to talk about that in the Chinese medicine and things like that. There's a quote from Paracelsus that I really like. <clears throat> So Paracelsus was, uh, for anybody who doesn't know him, he was a Swiss alchemist around medieval times, very foundational to modern medicine. Pharmacology basically comes from him, but he was really uh, more of a mystic uh, type of energetic healer, but actually incredibly scientific uh, for his time. He said that, um, that nature is the physician. That was his big point, that Um, a doctor, a healer, an energy worker, they're fundamentally there to support the process. They're not there to make it happen, to force it, 
or to take on the responsibility. Um, and it's very easy to fall into that mode of helping in all our interactions with people, even if we're not in a healing context, even when you're, uh, you know, your partner or a friend is discussing some issue with you and you're trying to figure out what, what is the best way to help them out here? Is it to uh, just listen? Is it to offer advice? Is it to offer solutions? Um, is it to do nothing and just allow that to work itself out because you, you have faith that the healing process has uh, incredible intelligence and that you can't really do it better than nature. You can at best maybe help it along. That's that. Yeah. It's a, um, for me, I think asking the intention of, of, of a session, whether it be with a patient or a client or whatever, um, or anything at like, why are we doing this? What's the purpose here? So do you want to feel better or do you want like something to, you know, help ease the pain or do you want to get over this? Do you want to sit through the discomfort and move through it and like better your life? Or do you want to push it off and deal with it later or something? Like mm. people may not want to go through the healing journey at that moment. They want, they might want the pain pills, you know, or like the instant gratification, but you, like healing yeah, is a process. And there's like, there's definitely discomfort in that. It could be a very, very painful process. Um, a lot of healing, at least from the uh, psychological standpoint, is confronting the things that we consistently do not want to confront. Confronting the fears, insecurities, um, the issues, the places where we feel like we fall short of our own expectations, which ultimately are how our feeling of self is derived of how we feel about ourselves is often how closely we can actually uh, follow what we know mm -hmm. to be us. And a lot of times it's, it's uncomfortable. Um, it, ha it has to be uncomfortable in a lot of cases, just because um, if it was comfortable and it felt great, then you would just do it. And then you wouldn't be in to get help with it, right? There would be no, if it was easy or fun <laughs> or enjoyable to work on your traumas and uh, attachment patterns and dysfunctional relationships, if that was easy and fun, then there would be no problem. Everyone would always do it all the time and there'd be no even discussion of it, right? But it's, but it's exactly the opposite. It's, it's often incredibly painful at first, yeah. but it's better on the other end. Yeah, so it it's here. And then like, if you keep doing it, you can't stop doing it. Like there's no turning back once you, you know, like really start to do work on yourself. And like, you may step to the side a little bit, like, you know, I need to take a break. I need to just feel good for a little while, but yeah, it, it can feel phenomenal. And it is like, that continuous peak experience too. It makes us, you know, um, one of the quotes that I have are we are the we are the universe experiencing itself. Mm. Um, and we can't do that without exploring who we are. And yeah, we don't own up to ourselves and take accountability for how we've shown up in the world and how we show up for ourselves, then mm. um, then what are we doing? <laughs>
one of the most uh, beautiful experiences with this self-work is when you become aware of a, a pattern that causes you pain very like clearly you just understand it uh, and then you take it one step further where that same thing presents to you but now you become aware of it in the moment and you don't react and you act differently and the result is completely different and so much better you feel better everything is better um and then you feel you feel like you've uh you've grown in some way so a lot of times that that good feeling of healing only comes at least from the psychological sense when you actually notice that oh hey like i did actually get better i i am nicer i am more compassionate i am more understanding i am more able to deal with the difficult things while being honest um that that thing will lead you on because of course everyone everyone wants to live a good life everyone wants to be happy at, at peace but usually there is a ton of storms that have to be consciously gone through to get there especially if early life was very stormy because it's the 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 after effects of that will not just go away in and of themselves unfortunately which is interesting that the psyche does not necessarily heal itself in the same way that the body also doesn't heal itself. Often it's, it's something's getting in the way of it. Yeah. Something's not being addressed. Um, what are some of the main, what are some of your main tools for self-work? Well, um, I've done a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, I do, I like talking a lot, like mm. um, having process with people. Uh, definitely allowing myself not to be defensive mm. and egoic about it. Like, okay, I can ask for help. Okay, I can step back. Like, I'm not the fucking center of the universe right here. Like, mm. let's let's figure out how we can better ourselves and better the world. And I will absolutely listen to what the universe is trying to tell me. So um, I think being humble is really important. And then journaling, meditating. Uh, I feel like the experience that if you're open to it, the experience that you're having around you in the world, um, the synchronicities that you feel like with those little coincidences, they, they have, it's like the universe speaking to you. It's kind of like a language of happening. Um, mm. It's like, I, one of the old yoga um, schools, I forget which one it is. It's one of the Mahayana, Ma, yeah, Ma, I can't pronounce it right now. <laughs> Mahayana. Mahayana um, schools. Buddhism. Yeah, the, um, our Hinduism. Um, mm. Is that the outside world is a reflection of the in internal experience that you're having. And there is no outside world. It's just like a abstract uh, projection from inside of yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so I think like what we call that cosmic mirror sometimes mm -hmm. in the new age, I suppose. So the things that are happening around you are reflecting back on you and that could happen in people too. Like 
Mm. Sometimes, you know, you'll be like, oh, I hate when people like do this in traffic. Mm-hmm. And then you do it like five minutes later and you're like, mm-hmm. oh shit, I just, mm-hmm. I just did the thing. Um, so shadow projection is a very real thing. And anyone who's interested in uh, Jungian psychology will, will find it to be incredibly descriptive of actually the reasons why we have uh, issues or negativity towards people in, in many cases, what we don't like about ourselves, what we repress about ourselves, whatever qualities that we don't like, like, let's say there's something that you just really don't like about yourself. Um, you feel like it's a flaw and every time it comes up, it makes you feel bad. And you just, you just don't want to think about it. Everybody has things like that. Um, even more so sometimes it's something that you won't even acknowledge that is one of your qualities because it's, it's dark and it's, you know, it's not part of me cause I'm good and I'm, you know, holy. So I'd never even think something like that. Um, but when you repress those kind of things, then um, there's this interesting principle of how the mind works is that everything, you can never actually fully repress something because where, where does it go, right? Mm-hmm. It just gets hidden. It gets hidden somewhere else. And where a lot of the shadow projection gets hidden is in other people. So if you see something in someone else that really particularly irritates you and you're not exactly sure why it's often because there is at least something resonant about something that you don't like about yourself that you've experienced. That's part of the, uh, the human nature, uh, so to speak. And, um, there's this saying, um, from, from Christianity, from Jesus Christ that um, uh, basically goes like cast out the, the, you know, big speck of debris in your own eye before you try to like look into someone else's eye and tell them that there's like a little speck in theirs. Right. Uh, uh, meaning that of course, the things that we criticize in others are, are sometimes things that we should look into uh, ourselves. Not always. Uh, always. Because shadow projection is a particular phenomenon. It's not always the fact. Sometimes someone really does do something bad and dark and you don't like it because why would you like it? <laughs> there's right. also that. There's, there's legitimacy too. It's not like, oh, if somebody is abusive to you or something, that it's, it's your fault or it's your shadow projecting. Of course, that's not the case. Um, right. So, right. Yeah. We're but that's all, a painful process. We're all that's, sharing the experience together and we're all doing it. We're not always projecting at, at all. And then the more that you know that if you're projecting or not, then the less you're going to project. You can be aware of it. At least you can, you can differentiate. Maybe like, Oh, I noticed that in myself. Cause I mean, if you want to get really esoteric, we are all each other. Um, and we have been each other before and we like you can go deep into the metaphysical with that like um are you uh mentioning uh reincarnation i'm talking about correspondence through the hermetic philosophy um it's uh 
more than just cause and effect, but it's like our even chemically, this is interesting. Um, you know, like we're all breathing the same air as one another. So the oxygen and carbon molecules that make up of our body are coming from like the food that we eat and the air that we're breathing and the water that we're drinking. And all of that is passing through all life on the planet. So we're literally like exchanging molecules with one another all the time and putting those into our bodies and expressing them out of our bodies. So like, yeah. So we are like literally <laughs> changing into one another molecularly. That's that real. That's like a mind blowing thing that um, the <laughs> atoms of your body are not yours. They might have been in another solar system and they most likely were in some other form of life. Yeah. You were a giant explosion of stars. Whoa. So that's, that's what's meant. I think in the Bible uh, when it said that God created humans from the clay of the earth or from the dirt or from the dust that were, we literally were not related to the earth. We are the earth. Mm -hmm. We are just the living manifestations of the, the, the place that we, that we come from, which is really, it's pretty strange when you think about it, actually. Yeah. So we're interconnected, whether or not we see it in just like very, very fundamental ways um, and the life cycle and everything. I always found it very fascinating too. You mentioned that thing about the breathing um, air. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fact that, there, uh, they did experiments on trees to figure out uh, where trees get their mass and weight and everything, where they get their growth from. And everyone expected, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're pulling up nutrients from the soil, the soil, the carbon in the soil is what's building it up. But they actually found that something like 90 to 95% of the mass of a tree is, um, is from carbon dioxide which is insane. So this, this gigantic towering Oak, this physical solid living object, so to speak is from the air that you can't see that has no, no solidity to it. So it, it's literally an example of what someone would call maybe the, non-material or the spiritual becoming physical there's there's an example right there of course we call it oxygen and carbon dioxide but just thinking about a gigantic tree and that most of that tree is actually just from the 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 actual carbon atoms that make it up are from invisible gaseous (laughs) particles it's so cool isn't that isn't that amazing beautiful and we're like that too, in a, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Of course, we build up a lot from our food as well. Yeah. And, um, in, and water. In our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. We have so many things living inside of us. So I wanted to segue a little bit into talking about an experience that you brought up to me before the show. Sure. Um, you said that you had a very pivotal experience doing ayahuasca in Peru. Uh, I wanted to get into that a little bit, the, the experience, what you learn from it, uh, these kind of things to give an understanding of how this, this medicine works, because it works so differently on different people. Uh, it is not, 
psychedelics in general are incredibly different than other kinds of uh, mind altering substances, because something like, let's say alcohol, it has a relatively similar effect on most people, right? It's pretty predictable how most people behave. Some people act differently, but it, it's more or less pretty standard and you can expect this, a similar thing every time. Um, but something like ayahuasca, psilocybin, that, that, that plant could affect you completely differently every time you do it and affects every person differently. Some people go into the most ecstatic experiences of their lives for eight hours. Some people go to the depths of hell for eight hours. Some people oscillate. Uh, it's so different. So what was your experience? Yeah, every time is definitely different. I've had the shamans that I went down there with said that um, and they've been doing it every other night their entire life since they were mm. like eight years old. Whoa. Yeah, um, they started early and they've been doing that for millennia, you know. Um, so I went I went down to Peru in 2009. Yeah, in, the, um, in January and in February. And I went with uh, my partner at the time right after we finished um, getting our associate's degrees in holistic healthcare, I got an herbalism degree and um, Reiki and like polarity therapy and cranial sacral training there at Suiha in Arizona, a little plug. <laughs> um, and we got down there and I had been leading up to this with like lots of different um, explorations of what it is. And I was reading True Hallucinations by uh, Terrence McKenna mm. um, on the airplane. It was literally falling apart as I was turning each page on the airplane when I was finishing it. Um, McKenna is a must read before psychedelic journeying. Yeah. That that's he <laughs> laid out a pretty pretty wide map of everything. Although he came at it from a very unique angle, I don't necessarily think everybody's going to see the machine elves if they do DMT, but uh, or that they even exist. But anyway. Oh, sure. Everything exists. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I've seen, I wasn't even tripping or anything, but I've seen fairies before. Mm -hmm. I I know they're there. Um, Anyway, uh, the ship people, people in the Amazon, um, I went to Iquitos. I was there for, and I went to three different places, like one the Spiritu de Anaconda for about 28 days. And I did 14 um, ceremonies with them. So I had the bulk of my experience there. Um, their main shaman, Guillermo, was not there most of the time because he was off in Disneyland hosting ayahuasca ceremonies with George Bush at the time. In Disneyland? In Disneyland. Yeah. With George Bush? With George Bush. Which yeah. one? The... Uh... Uh, um, HW or a junior, yeah. Uh, W, he was yeah, doing ayahuasca, but, really. Yeah, these um, that's what the story was. I don't, you know, like that sounds hard to believe. I mean, it does, doesn't it? Uh, just everything I know about the Iraq war and everything makes that very, very hard to believe. Yeah, well, there is, there is, uh dark spirituality too just 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 because somebody's spiritual doesn't mean that they're good there's uh the the uh what is it called brujas or brujos like the the black the black uh magician shamans so any any shaman can be both and are both usually um when emotions take over and it blinds your judgment and like like one of the shaman down there um his wife was 
Chinano with another shaman and they got into a huge ayahuasca battle with one another. They were drinking and doing ayahuasca and like trying to rip each other's souls out. Whoa. And that, that sounds that, unhealthy. That was very unhealthy. Yeah, right. <laughs> um one of the guys that I was down there with, uh he had he had been studying with that shaman and he we went to another lady um who was actually someone from California and was not a native who was practicing down there and she used his medicine. She didn't make her own medicine. Um, and she had been an apprentice for like four years. So she knew enough to, I, I, well, what happened this, this night was like, just told me that like, you know, if you really want the true experience and you want to be safe and held, like go to the natives, let them sing mm. songs properly. Like don't try to screw with this stuff. It's, called the vine of souls for a reason Mm. um she is like kind of like the consciousness of life moving in and out of the body ayahuasca's ayahuasca's yeah as a goddess um Mm. energy so uh, dmt the molecule itself is well ayahuasca unleashes on the brain and it's like what my understanding was going into it at the time was that uh it's only released in the brain when you're born and die Mm. And it inter- like it gets released in small amounts in the pineal glands like mm-hmm. when you're dreaming and um, and in heightened emotional states and peak experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it is like metaphysically supposed to do is open the gate to like everything, but you know, like life, like before and after death. Um, the so, universal consciousness, so to speak, the uh, the beyond personal identity type so, of consciousness. Yeah. And like, that's just way too much energy to move to like fathom, you know, mm. uh, in a human mind because our, our perception filters are like for survival and to like, communicate with one another and to like, you know, like build and grow stuff. Like we're, we're not supposed to move stars and planets around and, uh, mm. you know, like that's just not part of our, purpose there's a there's a reason why our why our consciousness is like this no yeah after um incredibly deep uh psychedelic experiences coming out of it sometimes the feeling is gratefulness that this is not always the experience that you can have little sections of it because life would be very difficult if you were always in the psychedelic state it would be very hard to function it would be a little bit too much absolutely yeah and just, you're processing like our subconscious mind is processing everything around us at all times like mm. all the sounds that we're hearing all of the colors that are around us like everything that everyone is feeling um i'm going to talk about the heart as a sensory organ for just a second here but like you know we're creating a magnetic field with every beat of the heart and it's listening to other magnetic fields and they're all listening to one another so, like we know in our hearts when things happen you know like if someone dies in your family, like you feel that, like you definitely know. Mm. Like, it, um, or it comes in dreams or yeah. other kind of uh, synchronicities. And, and hallucinogens, psychedelics, like open your awareness to all of that happening. And it's uh, fascinating too. Um, they uh, can't. They, they cannot allow that to happen. That, that psychedelic like, substances are. Uh, in a lot of cases, analogs to our own neurotransmitters. Mm. So that kind of adds to that theory of 
they're not forcing something to happen. They're just almost heightening what is already present in the brain, exactly. so to speak. They, they, so they're just giving you more of a self experience. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, so that's why they affect everyone completely differently. Mm. They just open you and open the experience that makes sense, reality yeah. for you. So for me, that's like magic and f- like bringing fantasy to life. Like mm. through art, but also being a vessel for the source and like for universal energy, mm. universal consciousness to come through like mm-hmm. we used to talk about fields like in polarity therapy we talk about fields a lot um i think we literally have an energetic field we have a magnetic field that's induced because of that and mm-hmm. so the day of you doing ayahuasca what was the ceremony like yeah um, what what did you what did you experience my so isn't it like a compound in the jungle um about like 20 kilometers out on a dirt road in the middle of the amazon mm. uh, they had armed guards to protect from the panthers anacondas other Whoa. Pe- people trying to sabotage whatever um and a lot of there's a lot of toucans flying around it was uh, mm. monkeys and mm. they had a lot of little pets and stuff and tamarins and giant uh those giant um rodents uh <laughs> <laughs> a lot of different huts they uh they had like the slowest wi-fi ever it was it took like 15 minutes to send an email yeah i mean what can you expect you're in the amazon rainforest <laughs> right, right? Well, like, <laughs> if you have any wi-fi you should just be happy that you have it right going on here? yeah <laughs> yeah if you're if you're going to the amazon to try to get good fast wi-fi uh okay, yeah. you're missing the point so <laughs> yeah, um, the the uh shaman were of the ship people tribe um they've been like i guess they're like the his what's the right word like uh the people who are most thought of i guess when you think of ayahuasca. revered like uh just well, most well known, I guess, and the biggest mm. on there that does ayahuasca. Okay, like renowned for their ayahuasca. Yeah, uh, traditions. Let's say. So, um, basically, they, the shamans make it all day, and they'll talk to you, and they sit you down. I'm like, what is your intention for doing this? Mm-hmm. And they give you a plan to take every day. Mm-hmm. Plant medicine. You take that every day. Then it's like helps you with your intention. My intention was to open my mind. And- what uh, what plant was it? Do you know? Mine. Yeah, what plant did they give you before to prepare? They gave, they gave me what they called it um, Pignon Blanco. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess it's not, it wasn't white pine. That sounds like white pine in Spanish, mm-hmm. but it wasn't white pine. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's a specific plant in the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, that area of the Amazon is, has the most biodiversity in the entire planet. Mm-hmm. There's something like... Um... 80,000 uh plant species and yeah, um, acre. every every year about 100 or so new completely unidentified species get found yeah. and, and this is all yeah this is all considering that if you look at uh an aerial map of the amazon it is being deforested at insane speeds um to make room for you know farms land one of the most biodiverse uh hubs of plant life 
is unfortunately under fire, literally. And meanwhile, uh, the cure for the cure for different cancers, the cure for uncurable things might be there in some plant compound and, you know, we might lose it. So that makes well, me sad anyway, not to segue too much. There was a lady who had, had gone down there to die like uh, three years mm. before I got there. And mm. she, um, cause she heard about it, like, you know, being a great way to like assist in death or to like heal, but she didn't want, she wanted to die because she had so, so much pain. She had like terminal cancer. So mm. Doctors were like, you're done. Like, you know, just go live the rest of your life. Mm. And, um, which was supposed to be like three months. So she went down there and she did the ayahuasca and like a year later, the doctors are like, you don't have any cancer anywhere in your body at all. What? Mm. and i don't know what happened but she like um a couple of years later like the she had like kept in correspondence with them because she was like what the hell guys i was i came here to die like <laughs> 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 now i'm like really alive like, disappointed I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> you lied to me yeah <laughs> um was she doing ayahuasca regularly or something or she did it uh i don't know how many times she did it but i mean that, that's kind of a story that's like that a lot of people have down there like they, they go there from all around the world like the people that i was with there was a couple of people from norway france saint martin uh some of africa a diplomat from russia like a lot of very eclectic people from all around the world um always coming and going through the Amazon mm. try this experience and they sing some of the songs are called Icaros mm -hmm. they are <clears throat> songs that like guide the ayahuasca through your body and the translations of them are like open the love through your body let the love flow through you let the love of the planet nourish you open yourself to the love and it's in the language of the shit people so it sounds kind of like sounds kind of like that um and uh the difference of just being on the ayahuasca and then having those songs being sung is profound it's mm. like they literally do guide you through what's going on and then because mm. i mean if you think of what sound is this is really cool <laughs> um molecules are, are just always like vibrating a little bit and mm -hmm. off like bass sounds but when you like sing and like say something that you're putting the energy into a vibration that's literally moving reality around you mm. and like songs they uh, uh, one of my belief things is that all of life is a song we're all singing and we're all singing life together and the movement of life itself is this giant symphony of and it could be very harmonious it could be very discordant mm. and dissonant um, mm. and um, so they're singing these uh ikaros yeah. And you're feeling the experience. What um, what does it look like on on, on your end? So, you like go deep into like you're you're not in the world around you. 
Some some people are. I don't know. It depends on how deep you go. Um, cause, like some people don't even experience anything. Hmm. Um, I had a teacher. She was and some crazy crazy things happened. Like one of my teachers was like going into a deep snake experience, and she opened her hands like this, and there was two snakes sitting in her hands when she looked at them. And, like, Whoa! I like slithered away, and you know, people can believe what they want about that. Um, hmm. For me, I was shown before I was, the first day, I didn't really feel anything except the most insurmountable pain I've ever felt in my life ever. Mm. It was like, she was like, I'm going to test you. I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> and um, it felt like I, I was like giving birth to a planet inside of my belly. And Whoa. Uh, like, yeah, it was like condensing. So I, I sat with that pain for like two days. And then the second trip uh, experience, I, um, they blew the tobacco smoke to like, mm-hmm. like smooth the, the spirit energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like purged a lot, you know, like throw up and poop a lot when you're on ayahuasca. Um, really? Uh, there's, um, so much of I, it, yeah. I've heard about the, the vomiting, so but so much stuff. Oh my God. It's like, let me take your entire life cycle through your entire like origin as a soul moving through all of the bodies and experiences you've ever had and like your generational trauma let's all let's work on all of that and like at the same time flushing all of that crap through you wow that sounds uh powerful pretty terrible actually yeah <laughs> <laughs> no no this is not fun it's not no. fun at all no it's not fun mm. no you don't do that for fun you do that to grow mm. heal and to find yourself better and like mm-hmm. understand the universe better mm. How long does the experience typically last for, at least the brew that you are using? Like eight to 12 hours. Like full intensity or like, is it kind of like psilocybin where there's like a peak, like two or three hours in that lasts for a few hours and then it kind of starts waning down? It's like that, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and it's better when, like when you lay down on your back and close your eyes like, and let them sing to you. That's what we did basically. In a way, you're kind of almost dying, right? It's the vine yeah. of souls. So laying down is a, a good way to die. It's kind of hard not to do, and do anything else. Over and over and over again all night long. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and the experience that I had the second day was uh, it showed me before I was born, like mm. a collection of stars and the I could feel the presence of the universe, call it God or whatever, being like, I need you to come to earth now. Like we, we need help <laughs> basically. Um, mm. It's like, no, I don't want to. I want to accept that responsibility. Like that's just a lot, a lot of work. And mm. the universe is like, well, you don't have a choice. Uh, and then I was like, <laughs> into my body. And I like remembered that like. <laughs> so were your eyes closed or were you having like yeah. uh, a vi- Okay. So it was like a, like a closed like, eye uh, vision, but were you aware um, were you aware that you were in your body still, or was this just like a completely different place? So both. Um, for me, I have I've been practicing lucid dreaming and astral travel and stuff since I was a kid, so I mm-hmm. I can be in both of those places at the same time. You feel your body, but you also have the vision but it's not like a vision behind your closed eyes it's like you're there but there's some feeling of the body being somewhere there also yeah i can relate to that yeah yeah um 
also sometimes completely gone. Yeah. I remember this one time I was like sinking deep into the earth and I was in this like gnome land underneath with the roots of the trees and they were just swirling deep and uh, I was like going to go to sleep in that little spot and the shaman was like, looked at me was like <laughs> and woke me up and I was like and he's like <laughs> like, mm. why can't I go there? I want to go there. Um. <laughs> that's a that's a, a strange thing when you completely lose all body consciousness from a psychedelic because it, um, it's like you're not even aware of it until you come back out of it. You in the moment you can't be aware that you're not in your body uh, yeah. because there's nothing to reference it to. When I was um when I was uh when I was uh, much younger, like probably like. I want to say like 11, 12, no, like eight, eight years ago or something like seven years ago, I wanted to uh, learn the spirit of uh, diviner sage, uh, uh, Salvia Divinorum, mm-hmm. which uh, people of course use it recreationally sometimes, which I don't really understand because it's not really recreational at all. It could be actually pretty, pretty terrible. Yeah. Um so I did this whole intricate like preparation with my friends who was also interested in, in trying it. Um, we got it from uh, like New York city. There's still some shops that, that sell extracts of it that you can use. And basically the way that you use it is um, you, uh, you, you smoke it with like a short pipe or whatever. Anyway. So we found this spot in in like a foresty area in the kind of the woods. And it was, it was like nighttime. It was like probably like 8 PM or something like that. Uh, we both laid with our backs against this really big sturdy tree. Um, I found like a nice safe spot. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we began the, the journey. He, he started first or I did, I, I forget. I, you know, I, I did the proper method, inhaled, and I held it. And it was, I don't, I don't remember putting down, putting it down. I didn't have that experience. Like I, my hand must have just went like this in my lap, just like limp. Uh, because what I, and I'm in the video, I'm doing quotation marks because I, this isn't a good way to describe what it was. Uh, what I experienced was, being in what seems like if you zoomed out like millions of light years from the whole universe that we live in or from the whole galaxy or something, it was like very far away and you could see it all in this area. Um, there was no like sense of me being there or self. I just remember vague imagery of it. Um, the whole, the whole, this whole thing was like this organic machine that was turning and like everything was moving and fitting and it it was all so interconnected and interwoven and moving. Everything was moving together. And I, there was this sense of like, I'm right there. Like I was like this one small little thing in this huge (laughs) turning. Like I knew that that was where I was, but it was so zoomed out that like, I was almost, I was, 
as if I was looking at myself from like millions of light years away, completely zoomed out with the whole universe, but I knew where I was. Um, wow. Anyway, it was, it was incredibly blissful and it couldn't really be described as like 3d. It wasn't really like a 3d experience of space. It wasn't like this. It wasn't like me looking at something like I was there and also seeing it. Yeah. But it wasn't like 3d. I don't know how to explain it. It was like some more, there was more dimensions than you can even wrap your mind around what that would even look like. Um, So anyway, my memory is kind of vague from it, but it was incredibly blissful. It was incredibly blissful. Um, and then, you know, then I kind of, I, I woke up, so to speak. I had not even known. I honestly didn't know what was happening when it was happening. I only knew what had happened when I came back into my body consciousness. At that point, it made sense that I had literally just not been anywhere that I can even explain where it was. It wasn't a closed eye vision or something. It's like, I just didn't exist really. I was in a completely other, uh, like, that's what I, that's why I asked you about like that, just being in a completely different place and not like having any feeling of your body or even existing at all. Just, um, zoomed out to the macrocosm. Yeah. When it's, when it's so split off, it's amazing because it can't be scary. Yeah. There's nothing to be like, you can't be scared because there's no identity or ego to be scared. It's, it's so far removed from reality that it, it you're not even aware that it's really happening. You're just experiencing it. You're only aware really after the fact that it happened. It's like, you know, when um, you are just kind of laying in bed and you, you don't really mean to fall asleep, but you do, and you don't notice the transition and you're just instantly into deep dreams with no memory of sleeping. And then you wake up and realize that you had just you forgot that you kind of fell asleep. You were in a dream, believed it to be reality. And then you woke up and only later realized. So it was kind of, um, it was kind of like that. Anyway, it's just interesting because that's not a typical experience with, um, with Salvia. And I did it a few times after that and it was not really good. That one has to particularly be very respected, but like a, a, a common DMT experience that people have, like maybe not common, but that's a theme, like zooming completely out to see, I call it the omniverse, like yeah, not just the universe itself, but like the universe as as a, as a bubble of soap with a bunch of other soap bubbles around it. Yeah, it was like a dance. And like, it was like a dance of life that was all in this. Um, it, it all fit together, and it was in this like this harmony that you can't see like when you're that close, but when you're really far out, you see everything is like exactly as it should be. Everything is in its own place. Everything is that, moving together. Love, yeah, that harmony. Mm. you know not just in the psychedelic experiences but like in any peak experience or like like really beautiful moments when you take that leap and you go into that uncomfortable place like we always say like why was I so afraid like this is amazing mm. this is so beautiful and this love like the divine love is flowing and you're like totally in alignment with where you're supposed to be the identity the ego the persona is afraid of 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 what will happen if it's not there because a lot of times um the ego dissolution is actually what is experienced as 
terrifying of the psychedelic experience. Now, if anyone hasn't had an ego dissolution experience, um, it's like slowly feeling everything you think to be yourself unquestionably uh, slowly being taken away from you, so to speak, uh, without anything that you can do about it. It's like any sense of having, of being a self or an identity or knowing who you are slowly is kind of like degrading. And the, as it's like dissolving, that's when there's a lot of resistance because you are just like, I don't want this to happen. I don't want, I don't want to let go. I want to, I want to control this. Cause that's the, um, that's the fundamental perspective of the, maybe we call it the animal soul or the ego is the, the want to control the internal and external environments, which of course is, is, um, is natural and it's useful for survival. Like you want to control your environment. You want to be able to get food. You want to protect yourself just basic things like you, you want to be aware of what's going on and what you can do about it. But that all kind of starts uh, dissolving in the psychedelic experience. And in fact, that is a lot of what the therapeutic effect is, um, is just seeing that there's a whole mode of consciousness, unlike anything you may have experienced before, but that it's actually more you than the other one. It's actually more you than the ordinary consciousness. It's more true to you. It's not um, the mind is not hazy. It's actually more clear, yeah. which is not what you would expect. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's the, like the ultimate getting away, getting out of your way, getting out of your own way. Cause all, all that, all that talk, all that self-talk, all that like, Oh no, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's just fear. That's all fear. It's just a desire to control things because it's, it's afraid of what's of, of that reality that is so open and allowing because it challenges everything that we know too also that like it's unknown and it's it like shows us that love is free and like there's no possessions in anything like we don't own anything yeah it also it also seems to show this hard to explain phenomenon that <clears throat> when you remove or the the feeling of a strong strong identity or sense of self ego this feeling of being an i being um fundamentally disconnected from the external world as uh having a boundary of internal and external when that goes the experience is um literally the word is great um ecstatic means like uh like breaking out of the body it's it's a very positive experience um, by its very nature, just in and of itself to not feel that you are this individual self at a deep level is fundamentally love and it's fundamentally blissful, which is strange because why is, why would that be the, the case, um, so to speak? And, and it, it's really important to note too, that these kind of, um, these kind of experiences with psychedelics can be achieved without any substances. They can be achieved through meditation. They could be uh, achieved through various uh, other techniques. So kind of leads uh, credence to that. These substances are only catalyzing and unlocking something. They're not doing something that you can't necessarily do yourself. Yeah, it's all always happening all the time. 
and it's coming from you and it's coming from the universe and there's then that flow between the two of you and everyone else and uh just not doing anything is a great way to start accessing that <laughs> yeah like when you're doing psychedelics like on ayahuasca you're just lying on your back with your eyes closed listening to songs like and then you you drank something that has a mixture of plants in it that just sends chemicals throughout your brain but those chemicals are already there anyway your body makes those things mm. how how has your um your psychedelic experiences influenced your artwork oh um because you tend to have a, a kind of mystical alex gray type of vibes your artwork and i notice that people who have had those experiences tend to actually gravitate towards that kind of artwork yeah um So like in doing art, I feel like it's, I'm taking, I'm just being a vessel for the universe to come through me mm. and to like show the expression of my experience of reality. So a lot of the things that I see inside my mind or that I experience, I like translate into art as process. So my art is the process that's going through my mind and my heart. And um, like, it helps me anchor that experience and also share my joy with the world in discovering that and having that self-discovery. So um, I do watercolors every single day. Mm. Um, I love those that you do, by the way, uh, yeah, those cool. quotes that you draw. Yeah, dude, those like, are amazing. I have, this is what I have so far. From oh, wow. And, um, I'm those a, are all uh, hands, hand watercolor. Yeah. I spend like, today there's a in um I've been, i started doing them without words and then i put them mm. ah the snake the snake goddess yeah goddess of compassion interesting um i started what did i start doing <laughs> um using my ipad to write the words so oh yeah so i i'm not um in case someone used the art for something else, I guess. Yeah, yeah. What's um, or what started you making these uh, daily kind of these like meaningful quotes uh, painting? And are you planning to do anything with them? Are they just for you? Are you planning to compile them together? Yeah, are you giving gotta, them to people? I, several people have told me that I should start monetizing them. And I definitely want to do that as part of a passive income flow mm -hmm. i think i'm gonna make a book like a big spell book of self-discovery mm. um with uh like i post them on instagram every day with like little quotes or poems or or like talking about the prop the process or the wisdom mm -hmm. what is your instagram uh derek healing arts derek healing arts at yeah. derek healing arts d-e-r-e-k healing Correct. arts okay that's a good name and my website is DerekBelise.love or .com, mm -hmm. um, L-E-I-S-S. And I have them posted there too. Amazing. Uh, what uh, what other artwork have you been working on lately? Have you been doing some uh, oil, acrylic painting, yeah, anything else? Doing, um, I have, I just finished doing a self-portrait in like,
Oh, wow. That's a big one. Yeah, it's a big one. Uh, yeah, for uh, on the video, he's showing an incredibly large, colorful um, uh, scene of his it's hard to even describe it. It's like a, it's like a side profile of his head, but he's like, his head's in the sky and it's off this like beautiful uh, area. That That's cool. What, what is the significance of that to you? Oh, I wanted to do a self portrait and mm-hmm. um, I identify as a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've, use crystals to i feel like crystals are crystallized intelligence and mm. from the earth and other places mm. um so those are sticking out of my head because yeah um <laughs> what do you find um in doing artwork um what is the kind of uh, therapeutic or the healing aspect of art for you um that is Like I said, it's like um, channeling my process. Um, I feel like it, it like synthesizes and integrates abstract experiences that we may not be able to, that I may not be able to understand with my rational mind, um, which I think is clunky and ineffective a lot of times. Like not mine specifically, but all rational thought is just trying to make sense of what like little resource it does have. Um, <laughs> so basically it's like a, like a process of the unknown into like some form of t- taking the formless into form. And I, I feel for that me that like helps process emotions mm. and traumas uh, or, or just, or joys, like good feelings too, and anchors them. Um, and you like look back on it and, there's that part. And then there's also like bringing in fantasy and like, Oh, I would love for this to be real. So like I'll paint it and be like, that is a magical place to be. And now you can like go there in your mind because it's a place now. And mm. um, like, like painting, paintings are like little stories. Um, just like novels are, I'm writing a novel too, but we'll talk about that another time um those are very similar you know like this is this world that i explored and i'm giving it to you um not non-fiction of course but fictional novels mm-hmm. um what's the name of the novel uh, do you have a name for it yet and what i self-published it a long time ago it's called typewriter versus kelly mcmoo um mm. i'm rewriting it now and i'm going to change the name of it um about magic opening up on the world and um, the uh, antagonist is a typewriter who is <laughs> like uh, a like a a person or no like a sentient oh my god <laughs> that is writing human destiny is in complete control of destiny oh so, wow that's so, ominous except for the protagonist and the protagonist um, Kelly McMoo is also a wizard um whoa just figures out how to do it on his own and is born the same time the great dragon of harmony wakes up this is all in the first chapter pretty much so i'm not spoiling anything 
Um, and it's all about their adventures and opening up, um, like in the typewriter, trying to thwart him opening magic in the world and harmony and love. So there's going to be a lot of also chaos and dissonance in that story. Um, mm, that sounds uh, sounds fascinating. Yeah, if you if you have an electronic version, I would I would love to I'd love to read it, man. Yeah, you, if you ever want to send it over, I'll I'll um, read it experience it and let you know what i think if you if you ever need a second pair of eyes on it <laughs> yeah i like uh writing uh fiction as well i've been kind of getting back into it i um i've mainly written uh mythology pieces uh like uh semi-philosophical semi-mythological pieces that were based around uh taking the stories of the different uh, Greek gods, for examples, and uh, either going deep into the stories based on the little fragments that are understood of them while imparting um, what I found to be the wisdom in the lessons, like as part of it, um, like to teach something through a story without ever saying anything directly, I think is, um, is a really high art. And that's, what mythology really is fundamentally because none of mythology is ever preachy. It's never, you know, Zeus did, didn't come down and say, this is how you should live. Uh, but through the stories that they told, you can learn for yourself. So I think it's a much more natural yeah. form of uh, learning, especially such strange things as uh, uh, psychology. Um, so I, I can, I can, I can relate to that. It, um, it, it's an interesting process because fiction is so much different than nonfiction because fiction is like, you don't really know where it comes from. You kind of are just excited. You're kind of like, Oh, what happens next? Like this could happen. And like, yeah, this happens. And then this happens. And like, what exactly where you're coming up with that doesn't really make any sense. It's kind of like, um, it's very much like play. It's like a spontaneous, like a child in a sandbox doesn't decide like what they're going to build. They just kind of go with it. And fiction is like that too. You know what they say about that? What's that? The word, the word wants to be written. Mm. It's already mm. there. It's just, it just needs to be manifest. Mm, that's and, beautiful. And as, as an artist, you're, you're, you're the vessel to help to make that happen. Mm. Like this, the story is already here. It wants to be told. So who's mm. going to tell it? Like, I, I don't think that we have our own ideas. I think that ideas move through us. They're like part of the universal consciousness. And mm -hmm. we want, like, if we are able and capable and willing to manifest those ideas, then we can, we will. You know, it's, it's funny that even things that we think that we created or invented in terms of ideas are often um, from other things that happens. I've had this strange experience where... Um, I also write like lyrical poetry, uh, doing, uh, like, uh, conscious rap and things like that. And I've been doing that since I was in uh, high school. I'm just starting to get back into it again. And, um, I've noticed that I will like write, uh, some different lines and I will at the moment think that I'm just coming up with them. But I'll re-listen to a song um, and uh, from like 10 years ago and realize that there was this one particular line that they had in there that I um, almost like riffed on 
in the rhyme that I wrote while not being aware of it. So like they said, you know, um, something, something, something in a certain pattern. And I did the same pattern subconsciously just because I heard it a few times. Um, so just goes to show you that, um, whatever you create is really just, um, it's like a reflection and a transmutation of every of your experiences that you've ever had, even if they weren't conscious. Yeah. Also. Yeah. Um, so as far then, as, um, as far things, as, mm-hmm, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I just wanted to say that some things, a lot of things when they're invented or are invented in multiple places simultaneously. Yeah. In, in, independently of one another. Yeah. Um, if that's something that interests um, you or anyone who's listening to this, uh, Carl Jung developed a pretty in-depth theory of uh, it's called the collective unconscious to explain that. And it's basically like this, we have an individual psyche, but there's also like a psyche of humanity that uh, transcends individuals has always existed and is also a, uh, has reverberations of all of history, meaning that um, it has ancient things in it. It's not just like uh, the collective psyche is not uh, just what's happening today. It's, it's all of human experience, Uh, but somehow it's all together linked. And that link is interesting. Yeah. Of what that exactly is. Mm. What, what was, um, you were mentioning that you've noticed some pretty miraculous things with some of the therapies you've seen. Uh, you mentioned that, uh, craniosacral, you've seen that work a lot for, uh, for people. Um, and could you explain a little bit what craniosacral is? Just wanted to uh, touch on that as well. Yeah. Um, real quickly, it's a, uh, really gentle modality where you're focusing on allowing the cerebral spinal fluid to like flow through the brain and the spine um, uninhibited and because like our our fascia gets really tight on things and will like tighten up the spine tighten up the muscles like that tightness condenses the flow of the fluid and the fluid is like etheric kind of um mm. like it's like effervescent in a way um so cranial sacral is about gentle holding um on the skull and along the spine and also the feet mm-hmm. a person's laying down right for that yeah laying down um and it's the pressure that you put on any part of the body is the same as five grams like the same as a nickel mm. very light touch and that's to access the fascia so the fascia can unwind. And it's all about like unwinding the tension in the body so that it can get into a rhythm. And that rhythm is like, is the spinal rhythm. Is it kind of like Reiki where there's some kind of energetic transmission? No, Reiki, well, I mean, kind of, I guess, but not really. Um, in the fact that they're both, ener- like they're both body work, forms of body work. But uh, Reiki is like, really energy based and cranial sacral is very physical based Mm. 
it's just very low, low, low intervention. Um, mm-hmm. Basically just holding things so that they can open. Mm. Um, and it's, it's great. Like people get into the most deepest relaxed states. They go like, I when, when I was in a, um, I was a demo for a class. Um, so the teacher was practicing or like showing a, a, a specific technique to use. Um, and uh, there's, there's a box of rocks in a like a little tub hmm. that I was talking you about. Um, and I, I had this like kind of like uh, like an aha moment, but it like clicked and it like physically clicked in my body and I went like Ugh! and this box of rocks went across the room. Whoa. It didn't hit anybody, but it was yeah, it was like it was like this telekinetic toss. That way nothing moved it. It was yeah, it was, it was just sitting there like in the corner of the room. And was it all, on top of something? And like it was like 16 witnesses of this happening too. We were all Holy. like Holy What the hell? <laughs> it really moved? Yeah, it got through across the room. Whoa, that's very spooky. Yeah. Because well, you know, energy moves and when it needs to find a place to go. Mm. So what are some of the Oh, was it was that the experience that uh that you wanted to share experiences yeah um mm-hmm. i don't know there's like tons of different experiences so that's like the most dramatic of like things that are inexplicable um or they're yeah. inexplicable, but they're not like i don't know like mm-hmm. prime material prime material prime material reductionist physical mineral worlds mentality wouldn't appreciate them as true um mm. kind of experiences um i think that was the most dramatic of such mm. and uh yeah when i um i had done uh, reiki i did two levels of uh certification mm-hmm. and i was at the time really interested in understanding tarot as understanding in the energetic metaphysical properties of uh, gemstones. Um, but I approached Reiki a little, I, I came at it with like a little bit of a critical mind, a little bit of skepticism, because I wanted to see um, what it was, how it was working, this kind of thing. Yeah. And I had a actually pretty remarkable experience where uh, my friend was uh, hanging out with me and he had like this like horrible stomach ache mm. and um, not really knowing what else to do? I thought, Hey, this is a perfect opportunity to try Reiki, right? Like, you know, it won't hurt. Yeah, um, can't hurt. so I gave him like a little bit of ginger tea and then I had him lay down and did, uh, did Reiki, which for people who don't know Reiki, it's basically you, you either hold your hands above the person's body or making contact with, and there's all these, um, internal symbols you make. There's these things you, uh, you do like internally. It's kind of like a, uh, an internal mindfulness slash ritual thing that you perform also not just laying of hands. Um, but I did that for like five minutes and then, you know, I, I stopped and within a couple of minutes, he he literally just jumped up. Like he was like really sick looking before he was like pale as a ghost, just didn't look good. He just jumped up looking like completely fine. And he was just like, wow my stomach pain is like completely gone. Like I feel a hundred times better. He's like, what did you do? 
I'm like, I don't know, to be honest. I just did the things that they taught me to do the Reiki thing. I don't know what I did. Um, That's but, a good but it was, it was, but it was quick. I don't know. <laughs> it, it was, it was quick. It was like a couple of minutes afterwards. Like he just kind of laid there for a little bit after. And then he kind of, he just jumped up and I was like, I don't really care how it works, but like it did in a way oh, that yeah. like, is hard to, um, hard to explain. Cause it's not like, he wasn't having, you know, uh, like anxiety or something. And then I did Reiki on him and then it went away. Like he was having like severe stomach pain and like looking really ill, like, like as if he had eaten something bad and it made him feel completely better, which was, um, I also found another fact that was kind of interesting too. I did a, a Reiki on one of my friends when I was first uh, learning it, they were kind of like, lay, we were, uh, it was laying out in a field of grass and I was kind of sitting there. Um, and as I was doing the Reiki and kind of doing the mindfulness, uh, meditative exercises and the different symbols that you use, like the chokurei and all those things, you, uh, I'm assuming you learned, um, I had the experience that as I was doing the Reiki, I felt such a deep, like calm and bliss. Mm -hmm. It was, it was not, it was not the same as the kind that I would get from just meditating alone. It was interesting. It was like, just doing the Reiki in and of itself was like also healing for me. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I mean, cause it, it, what, what it stands for universal life force, life force energy. Mm -hmm. um, you're just, you're, you're being a vessel for the universal life force energy to move through you and through your hands into somebody else. So it's like waking up their vital energy. And so the vital energy is moving through you too. Mm. So it revitalizes you when you're doing it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Reiki is actually pretty amazing. It, it seems very incredibly complex, but it's actually incredibly natural and simple. In fact, the way it was described, uh, I believe by the man who discovered it was that all of the symbols and stuff are just training. They're just to train your mind to be able to do the things with your body that uh, that at a higher level you don't even need to do. Yeah. Because they're um, Doctor Usui. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they're kind of like um, they're like totems or like memories of like you know why you set up a shrine to go uh, pray to with like stones and incense and all that and little statues is because you kind of accustom your mind that when you see that it means meditation and you do meditation so that eventually just looking at this, the shrine makes you feel meditative. So it's kind of like that, but internally with the Reiki stuff and also with the hand gestures and different movements. Um, mm -hmm. But anyone who's interested in Reiki, uh, very simple technique, uh, just laying down in bed at night, uh, just place, place your hands like uh, close to each other, but, but separate, very lightly touching your body, starting with your head and going down and just let, um, let your hands stay there. And as you breathe in and out, feel like this heat and light coming in your hands and going into your body. And you can even say like a mantra, like I receive healing. Um, I receive healing in my, in my chest. Like I like to hold it over my chest when I'm feeling um, 
like nervous or something like that. And I say, as I breathe in, I'm, I heal my heart. As I breathe out, I feel love, something like that. And um, you just let, you let your, your hands rest in whatever positions on your body that you like. I like uh, uh, top of the head. I like heart. I like gut. I like a lower and, and, and so on and so forth. And you just let it sit for how, however much feels comfortable um, while imagining your hands getting very, 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 very warm and like almost exuding light into your body to like really visualize it and to say like the associated things of like the healing love, whatever, basically whatever you want, right? Like whatever uh, uh, energy you want to impart. And I, I found it to be incredibly, uh, incredibly effective at just calming and feeling good. And also interesting, your hands do get really hot. Your hands get really hot and it's very hard to explain why that's the case. Um, a lot of people have the experience of having a bunch of other hands on them too. Whoa. Yeah. It's like, that's pretty creepy. You can call in, well, you can call in. Um, oh yeah. Right. When you get, when you get ordained, like I, I learned how to give people Reiki too. Um, mm. Teach them. So you went through the master level. Yeah. So it's like blowing vortexes through them mm. to allow that to open up inside of their bodies. And um, um, yeah, you call in the spirits. I remember oh, yeah. that part of it. Yep. I, I forgot to mention that. The spirits of all the other Reiki masters who have gone before you. Are, yeah. Who are there. Um, I, I have a teacher also, also Heather Principe, um, who teaches polarity in New York. She, um, she hates, she absolutely despises when people call in other entities. She's like, I just want to work with you. I don't want to work with all the, all these busy people in the room. Like get them out of here. That's get them out of my space. I just, you and me, like, I don't need a Archangel Michael over here. Like, fighting my inner demons for me like, <laughs> do that okay <laughs> but, yeah yeah there's a lot to be said about that so like well, I, yeah. I, think, I think people can be especially in the new age can be like a little way too gung-ho about calling. it can be a little bit new agey yeah they're just calling <laughs> everything and i'm like well, that's just you know yeah. busy, man <laughs> metatron and archangel yeah. michael and uh the person has a stomach ache right. i'm pretty sure archangel michael if he exists uh, or she, I, it's actually angels are not a he or a she, interestingly, in, in biblical, they don't have uh, sex or gender, um, from what I not understand. Yeah. yeah, they're not human, that, <laughs> uh, or even animals, for that matter. And they don't reproduce either. Anyway, that's a huge divergence. I'm pretty sure if those entities really exist, um, they have like important things to do. <laughs> right they got important stuff to do maybe yeah. maybe save it for when you really need it when yeah. you're really having a crisis yeah. not when uh like when your car breaks down yeah not when you're having an upset stomach or something <laughs> like I, I i didn't call in uh you know any archangels when i was doing the reiki on, on my friend it would it would have been kind of um for me it doesn't it doesn't feel it doesn't feel good although i think that bringing in that vibe of feeling like there's some universal force helping you that part is important because yeah i remember uh constantly being reiterated in all the reiki traditions that like the healing is not from you it's through you 
you're channeling it. You're it's not your energy. It's not like um it's not like electromagnetic healing or anything like that. Like you're trying to like get out of the way and you're trying to have whatever that um energy is to just flow through exactly. your body into them. And that also would potentially if if that is true that that is what's happening um that that would explain why it makes you feel better too because it's also going through you to get to them yeah absolutely any uh any final notes that you'd like to leave the audience with any final words Uh, of uh encouragement advice love yeah love yourself love the world around you like um even if you have to force yourself to do it <laughs> Work you force you sometimes you do have to force yourself sometimes i have to force myself to be positive but i try to be as positive as possible all the time because there's so much negativity in the world and we don't need that like we don't need to be to like perpetuate the fear we're, we're here to help build a better world for ourselves and for our for our children and for you know to, to be ancestors that people want to look up to Mm. to help like this world is changing a lot right now and it's like do or die like destroy all of the species on earth pollute everything like throw it all in the garbage or celebrate a beautiful harmonious ecosystem of growth and prosperity and potentially moving out into the stars with that like that's Mm -hmm. awesome yeah you know i don't think that you know this um, damage to the environment, deforest- uh, deforestation, all the kind of things that uh, humans on a whole do are because humans are bad or evil. I think usually it's because of just a lack of awareness, really. It's just a lack of, um, it's a lack of awareness of like uh, the consequences. Yeah. Um, if, if, if all people and everybody, especially the people who are in charge of those big corporations that usually are the biggest contributors to things like that. It's usually not because you threw a bottle, uh, like a bottle in the wrong recycling thing as a, as a citizen. It's, it's usually those big companies that are dumping like uh, thousands of gallons of oil into the ocean and things like that, that you, you can throw your, you can throw everything into the ocean. You'll never make as much of an impact as they do. Um, those are just people too. They're just humans in those positions, but it's just a lack of understanding of the long-term consequences of potentially short-term gains. And I think that's really important to emphasize when dealing with these kind of issues is not to judge or necessarily even blame the people who are involved in it as bad because they're just doing what they think is right for them because uh, maybe it gives them more money uh, you know, they could pay their workers, they can expand, they have good reasons for what they're doing. I mean, maybe some of them don't, maybe some are functioning from a place of greed. Um, but probably a good deal of them do have good reasons for doing what they do, or maybe they have no other option, it seems. Um, but the, it's the lack of awareness of the long term effects of those kind of things, because it's like, it's huge, yeah, it's like throwing out trash like in your own house. And um, it's really convenient because then you don't have to take the trash out. It's easier, blah, blah, blah. But like, um, it's your own house. Like eventually it's going to affect you. And so far we don't have any other planet to go to. Um, So like, even for like a selfish reason, like we should want our environment to be good because like you don't like, you don't have to necessarily care about the whole earth and 
you that's good if you do. But uh, if you really cared about yourself, um, then those kind of things would, or or even just your children and your children's children, and um, and so on and so forth. Um, just to be like aware of our actions. Usually, it's just. Um, it's just like a- apathy or ignorance. Like it's, it's, it's hard to do the right thing. Like the right thing is more expensive. The right thing is more difficult. The right thing is more effort. Like where are we going to put all this trash? Like we don't really have a better option. We need better options is, yeah, the, is we, the issue. We need to be solution oriented and not be focused on the problems. Exactly. Solution oriented, not necessarily just taxing people. I don't think that's the, that's the way it's going to change. You got to do the work in yourself. You got to do the work in your community, you know, like, and it's a slow building process and we're doing it. Like it's happening. Absolutely happening. And one final thing I wanted to, um, to leave off with about the self love. Yeah. And this part has particularly been very important to me in the past few weeks. I've been having a lot of insights and revelations about it. Self love can many times be best expressed through action or outwards love can also be best expressed through action. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, action broadly action as in uh, words, action as in something you do action as something you don't do um, anything that is beyond just simply contemplating and thinking because at least to my minds, when, the idea of self-love gets brought up. The tendency is to think of it as this um, purely psychological and emotional thing that it's, you sit, you love yourself, you uh, shower healing rays, you say positive affirmations, and then everything's better. Um, and that's, that's definitely part, that's definitely part of it, probably like half of it, because you need that part to do the other part. But the other part is, how does that attitude or feeling actually guide your actions towards people and towards yourself because the action part of it you know is incredibly more difficult yeah absolutely yeah because sometimes self-love looks like not what you would expect Mm -hmm. it looks like something you know sometimes self-love is realizing that maybe a person in your life is not, is not beneficial for you at this time. And there's not really much you can do. You've tried all the things. And sometimes self-love um, is uh, just, just letting them go or, or something like that, or, um, or bringing it up or getting into, you know, a conflict or a confrontation over it because it is true and it is necessary to be addressed, but self-love isn't um, love. Isn't always like, purely um it's not all rainbows and butterflies yeah all work done and it's like it can be really shadowy too but it's yeah yeah it can't it it, it, the shadowy even when it is shadowy it comes from a place of like good intention but sometimes it's like i think of it like um like a surgeon right like a surgeon has to hurt you to help you like because what they do will cause you pain, but it's what needs to be done like for ourselves and others. Effort is only the resistance. Like Mm. that's the suffering is the resistance to it happening. Exactly. Without, without resistance to it and embracing it, then it's it's, the love just flows that way. 
accept uh, acceptance acceptance of oneself yep. is a is a good synonym for uh for self-love it's not just feeling good about yourself or having high self-esteem it's more like not only just generally accepting yourself for your good and bad but it's also loving and respecting yourself as who you are and can be enough to actually take actions based on that to do um the things that uh somebody like the th- the things that you would do for somebody that you love, you should do for yourself also. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's, that's not, that's not typical. Um, it's, it's not, it's not really typical. It's not something that's necessarily taught as an important thing, but you can't really, uh, really adequately express the open kind of love that is healing without, having it on yourself also. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's, it's hard and you, you know, love, love and hate are oscillating. So you'll feel that feeling towards yourself and that's okay too. Would you deal with some really dark stuff sometimes? Uh, it's important to just uh, accept it and <laughs> healer, heal thyself and lover, love thyself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, expressing that love in the world is that's like true love. It's not just, um, it's not just feeling it. It's not just thinking about it. It's actually, um, doing the hard thing. I mean, sometimes love looks like, uh, they call it like tough love or something. I don't, I don't know if I, if I like that terminology, it kind of implies something about it that, you know, being mean to somebody is a good idea or something for their good. Um, it's probably not a good way to phrase it. I know what they're aiming at, but it's not a good way to phrase it. Uh, but sometimes love is like sitting down with your friends uh, who's like really troubled and just being really honest and being like, listen, man, like you're, you're messing up. Like this, this is how, like, like just telling somebody straight up, like something that no one will ever tell them, but the only thing that can actually help them. Like, that's also love too. It's not, yeah. um, it's not just saying, oh, I support you and everything's going to be okay. It's like, that's not necessarily true. No, that could be like everything could not be okay. Like if you that. don't say there, if you don't say the truth. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to enable enabling is not love and codependence is not love. That's, that's big. Cause it, that love seems to be portrayed as this kind of, um, everything you do is enabling. Good. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, that's not true. <laughs> cause, cause, cause love, love isn't just yes to good. It's also no to bad. It's, it's, it's both, um, whether that's for yourself or, or for, for other people, that word is interesting too, love. Cause it has like 101,000 meanings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think that's a good, uh, that's a good place to, to end it off for now. Sounds good. Thanks for having right. me. It was beautiful. Derek Lease. Uh, naturopathic medical student. When are you graduating, by the way? Um, it's going to be 2021. What, what year is this? 2022. <laughs> okay, so you're in third year or second year? I'm in th- third year. I'm, I took a year off for various reasons. So I'll be back. I'm coming back in April. So I'll be done um, next July. Amazing. Uh, do you have any plans for the future? Are you uh, got any 
healing practices in the works or thinking about that kind I of thing? don't know right now. I mean, I eventually want to have like healing arts resort spa mm. things going on um, and mm. have farm. Yeah, I've been I've been kind of pondering on those uh, ideas of early naturopathy was all about those kind of health resorts. Actually, that's where those like vacation resorts come from. They were originally in a therapeutic context. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm totally a vitalist person, so I'm gonna. All right, well, go that way. Hey, maybe maybe we could figure something out in the future. Um, yeah, I love that for sure. Uh, I definitely I'm really excited about Measure One Hundred Nine and, and psilocybin therapy having been legalized this past uh, spring and they're going to unveil it over the next two years. So we can expect it to be ready to go by 2023. And um, that's something that I certainly will be offering my uh, patients and clients. Um, So I look forward to that. I think that that could be really, um, I could be really, really healing, especially, Mm -hmm. especially if it's expressed with all of the necessary ingredients yeah. Uh, that are sometimes forgotten, like having the proper uh, setting for it, like a, a, a place where people can feel at ease. That's like more natural than not um, a place where there's a lot of beauty artwork, like someplace where just being there makes you just feel great. That's yeah. the kind of place you want to be to be around people who are really understanding there to help you to um, prepare for it adequately, to think what you're seeking out of experience, to have a kind of plan of what you're going to do. Are you going to listen to music? Are you going to sit and meditate? What's your kind of plan before you get into it? Uh, all that kind of stuff is what makes the difference between if it's just a, Oh, that was kind of fun to like, that was the most profound experience of my life. That's the, the difference is just in those things, not the substance. Uh, the dose matters too, though. The dose matters yeah. too. Uh, sometimes at a high enough dose, it doesn't matter what you plan or don't plan. Uh, you could be sitting in like, um, like a basement and you won't even be there. So, but I, I don't recommend, I don't, that. I don't know about that. I think I don't, I don't recommend that's probably going to be a dark one. Vibes around you are definitely going to always affect you. So it's very yeah. good to be in a place that is, is uh, supportive of your being in a safe, natural spot is always a good bet yeah. with only close friends or people who are close to, or yourself. Anyway, all right. Derek Lees, uh, what was your website again? DerekLees.com or .love. Amazing, amazing. Um, <laughs> so I want to wish everyone who's listening uh, happy Valentine's Day. If you're listening to this after Valentine's Day, uh, I hope your day was amazing. And I hope every day is Valentine's Day for you. Um, yeah. And also for, for myself and for you, Derek. Uh, you as well. We're also part of the collective. 